Open up your Bibles to Colossians 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. This is where we're going to be in our time this morning in the Word. Let me meet you there. I've got to get there myself. Paul's beginning in his comments in chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians. He's connecting those comments to chapters 3 and 4 in this little segue of verses 1 through 4. He has just been attacking false teaching, various types of false teaching that's happening in the church there at Colossae. And he's been attacking the way that it's trying to, that, that false teaching is laying the groundway, laying the path toward a false godliness, to really a false relationship with God. He's talked about empty deception. He's talked about traditions of men. He's talked about angel worship. He's talked about worldly philosophies and observing special days and feasts. And he's talked about not touching, not eating, and all these things that were added by men who were not godly, but who were claiming godliness. And they were claiming that by doing these things, you could obtain godliness. You could obtain God. You could be spiritually mature. But Paul is attacking all these things. He's been attacking them by teaching truth. And now, as he turns the corner in chapter 3, going into chapter 3 and 4, he's talking about what this truth looks like in everyday life. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to um, read the passage, and then we're going to play a video clip that I believe is going to help us understand it. So go, go in the passage with me. Meet me there. Let's read it together real quick. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. You read along. We'll both end at the same place. If then... And that if then is not so much like if this has happened. It's more like a statement, because this has happened, you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you were also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self and with it its evil practices. And have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal which is, which in which there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. And so, verse 12, and so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has com- complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one another, you were called in one body, and to be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with hymns and and psalms and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Notice that that's come up twice already, thankfulness. And finally in verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, 
do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The video clip I'm going to play for you is by a guy. His name is Michael Jr. Several of you who've been to the summer summit, the leadership summit, you might have seen him there. And then he's been this week uh, circulating through the internet a lot with this particular clip. My brother played this clip, and I was watching it, and I thought, oh, I remember him doing it. And then I thought, that clip is what we want to use to help us grasp this passage. His name is Michael Jr., and the clip he's referring to the what and the why. All right? It's called, how do I know? And a lot of times when people hear the phrase, how do I know, the next thing they say is what? How do I know what? But the key really isn't to know what. The key is to know why. Because when you know your why, you have options on what your what can be. For instance, my why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. My what is stand-up comedy. My what is writing books. My what can be going out with some friends to eat. In fact, another what that has moved me towards my why is a, a web series that we have out now called Break Time. So every Wednesday at 3 o'clock, you should subscribe to the, to the channel. Uh, we do a series called Break Time on YouTube. So 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode. One episode in particular I'm about to show you a clip to. We were in, uh, we were in Winston-Salem. So Break Time, this is how it works. I travel the country. I do stand-up comedy probably an hour, hour and a half at an event. And in the middle of my show, I'll just sit down and start talking to the audience. And funny just happens. Or I'll meet somebody who's really interesting. So I met this one guy, and he said that he teaches music at a school. I was like, all right, you teach music, you know, um, can you sing? And then uh, I'm just going to show you the clip. Check it. So you're a musical director. Yes, cool. sir. All right, so... Um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow, that brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the Here's the thing. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. 
The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. That's pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. You want to hear me sing it? No. All right. Yeah. When you know the why, your what has more impact because you're walking towards or you're in your purpose, he said. In our passage today, I believe there's a why and a what. The church is famous for its what's. Usually it's negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't hang out with those who do. And the what, if it's in the Bible, it's couched in a negative context. So usually all the what's that the church is known for are negative. But let's see what the what's are in this passage. Because remember, the what is what we do. It's our actions. It's our deeds. It's the things most folks see. The what's are what people see. Because the why is an intangible that lies deep inside. It's the stuff that makes us. So in this passage, um, look in there at verses 12 through 17. In 12 12 through 17, that is where we find what I believe our what's are. So as those who have been chosen by God, first of all, there's a what. You've been chosen by God. That's a big deal. You are holy. You are beloved. He goes on and says, put on a heart of, here's a what, compassion. Here's a what, kindness. Here's a what, humility, gentleness, patience. Here's another what, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Any complaint, you should be forgiven. No one should hold on to hurt and differences. And then he closes and he says, and put on love. Verse 14, we could rewrite for today and say, and the what that unites you is love. That what is a perfect unity, he said. Let's review. Let's look at love. Love is patient. Some of you are going to know this. Some of you memorized it. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You see your what in here? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It's always hopeful. It always perseveres. Everything in Colossians 3, 12 through 14 culminates in the expression of love, in the expression of kindness, in the expression of not envying, of not boasting, of not being proud, of not dishonoring, of not being self-seeking, of not wanting things for yourself. Love does not hoard. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices in truth. It always protects, trusts, and perseveres. The what this what that we just talked about, all these what's, that, that what is really tough. If you're in a relationship at all, you realize how tough this what is. If you're married, 
you're just hating this entire topic today. If you have kids that are teenagers, have mercy. Yeah, it's tough. All of this, what, this, this unity of love is powered in verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Teaching and encouraging each other with wisdom and admonishing with hymns, songs, and singing. And, and here's thankfulness again. And then finally, in verse 17, in whatever you do, do it in the name of Christ. As it is Paul's way, he has mentioned the good against the bad. I really appreciate that about Paul and Peter's writing. They always give us the example, and then they give us the anti-example. In other words, they give me, usually it's like, it's what I'm doing versus what I should be doing is how I look at it. And maybe you do too as well. And in this passage, he does that. If you look over into verse 5, he begins to give the anti-what. He begins to give the negative what. And he says this, Therefore, consider members of your body as dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. The Living Bible says it like this, And away then with sinful earthly things, deaden the evil desires lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't worship the good things of life, for that is idolatry. This is how you walked. This is how you lived. This is who you were. This is who you were. Now then, pay attention to something that is past tense. This is who you were. Pay attention to that in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, now you are raised up. This is who I am. Raised up with Christ. So who you were, he says, put all that aside. But now, verse 8, put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you've laid aside the old self with all of its evil practices, and now you've picked up a new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created you. That is how you walked. That was your what? But now in verse 10, you have a new what? You are living a brand new kind of life that is continually learning more and more of what is right and trying to constantly be more and more like Christ who created this new life in you. You've been raised up into this new life, verse 3. I mean, chapter 3, verse 1. And he goes, you are being renewed in it all the time. Note this, this entire manner of life. This new what is expressed in relationship with each other. Do you see that? He says the what that you're supposed to be about happens in the context of relationships. In other words, what we are known for is we are known for how we treat each other. What we're known for, the what that people see, is how we are with each other. How we are with seeing Santa once a week. I can get by with that, you know. How we are with seeing Bud and Pam twice a week because we're in a small group. I can still get by with that. But then when I go home and how I am at home. You see, the fact of the matter is, and this passage doesn't say it yet, but if you read on in this passage, it's going there. 
It's, it, you know, as if the what isn't hard enough, he just makes it harder. He just raises it up. But let's just go there and just tip the hand a little bit right now. And that's this, that it's difficult enough to be in good relationship with you and with each other. But then he goes further and he takes it home. Because home is where the what has to really be evident. We'll get there next week. We won't go there yet. But that what is expressed in relationships with each other. He says, what you're known for is how you are with each other. Look at all the what's in this passage. Some of us have anger with ourselves, but really most of the time we have anger with others. We have slander with others, abusive speech with others. We are called to be compassionate, kindness, have humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other. Bearing with each other means I know we don't get along. I know we're different about some things, but I can live with this. I will bear with this. Forgiving each other just as the Lord forgave you and bearing all these things put on love, which is the perfect unity, perfect bond of unity. This morning, how are you? Let's just do a litmus test of how you're doing with your what. And that litmus test is this. How much does conflict, relational conflict, rule your life? Because if you have relational conflict that is just there all the time, then your what needs some attention. If we are supposed to be forgiving and forbearing and loving and compassionate, you can't do that when you're in conflict, especially if it's with another Christian. Because what we're saying is that our new life here, there should be little or no room for conflict. Now, sometimes it's there, but it should not be there because we instigated it. It should not be there because we are the ones who started it. If Christ is in me, he is most fully expressed in how I love others. And if I'm mad at someone or hurt by them or not talking to them or can't be honest with them or can't be in the same room with them or can't be on a ministry team with them or a Bible study or a small group or if I can't be married to them or obey them, children, students, if I can't parent them, employees, if I can't work for them, employers, if I can't have them working for me, then Christ is not ruling in your heart and you're not able to be renewed in his image. You don't look like him if conflict is reigning in your heart. You are not being a very committed follower of him. You are not being a very good disciple of his. Do you, do you see that? What's being made manifest in your life is what you're exhibiting. And if you're in conflict with others, it's not Christ that you're exhibiting. We represent Christ when we find that our life has more of verses 12 through 14 in it than it does of verses 8 and 5 in it. Conflict reveals what is inside here. And what is inside here when conflict is prevalent in our life, is not the overwhelming presence of Christ. I admit it is hard to avoid. Look at verse 11. I think this verse is centrally located in the passage. If, if, Rob, if Rob Cronson was teaching, he'd be calling it a chiasm. I know how you are, Rob. If, it's centrally located in this passage for a reason. Verse 11 says, A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is in all and he is all. 
This, is, this renewal that he's talking about that is happening in our lives is one that there is no distinction. You know what? Throughout history and right now in our moment in history, distinctions are everywhere. And the ones we're hearing about the most are, you know, the political ones, Democrats, Republicans. The ones we're hearing about the most are Christians and Muslims. The ones we're hearing about the most is East versus West in the context of our world. And here, Paul takes it, and, he, and he, he, he's summarizing in what was his world at the time. You know that you were Jew or Greek. Those two things could never go together. Circumcised or not had to do with Greek and Gentile. I mean, Jewish and Gentile. Those things could never go together. And then he goes to barbarian and Scythian. And the Scythians, they were just, the barbarians are bad. The Scythians were worse. Free man or slave. And in other words, he's saying, and this new life, One's nationality, their race, their education, their social position, all of that stuff is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters, and he is equally available to all. In this passage, Christ is saying he has dispossessed, he has obliterated all distinctions of all religious prerogatives, of all intellectual preeminence, of all social castes. And what what he's saying is this. He's saying that Christ has obliterated the words barbarian, master, slave, all of them. And he substituted them with the word brother. All of the things that we think are okay to make distinctions about, he says they don't exist because they're all brothers. It's very easy to write off people who are different from us. It's very easy to tell ourselves we don't have to love them because they're not one of us. Paul says all that is over. He says to look at them as a them is sin. That's not being Christ-like. Now then, let's just take this home right now to a couple of places. And it doesn't have to do with us here as a church body, but it has to do with us as individuals. And that's this. So then, if there are no distinctions and I am to love all, un, all the same, then what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you when you pray for ISIS? Do you pray for them to be destroyed and killed? Or do you pray for them to come into a saving faith in Christ? What does it mean for praying for refugees? Do you pray that there's someone else's problem? Or do you pray that God provides? And if you're part of that answer, that you step forward and do it. What does it mean to pray for Muslims? It's okay to hate them, right? It's okay not to pray for them, right? Because of the bad guys? No, it's not. But when we give ourselves an out, then we realize that we are not living in the what. That we are called to love them, We are called to pray for them and that it is God's role and job to do with them as he will and for us to play our role in it. Here's another one. This one starts a little closer to home. Do you feel like it's okay for you to, as in the context of this this passage, to use abusive speech or slander or malign someone you disagree with who's your president? Do you believe that's okay? Just because he doesn't agree with, just because you don't agree with him, is that okay for you to do that? Where's your what at? Or any other politician that you might disagree with, but I know, I know us. See, there is in, in our genetic code. There's written into us something that says it's okay to mistreat those or to malign those that we don't agree with. This text changes that. It says we love regardless of the differences, and we're not given an out to love because they are different. In the video, Michael asked the man to sing, so he sang, and he was good. As a matter of fact, he was really good. Then Michael asked him, gave him a why. He gave him a context. He gave him a reason or a, st- or a story that surrounded the what. And that 
surrounded his singing. And then the song went to a whole new level. There was a little comparison between the first one and the second one. The second time through the song, there was life. There was spirit. There was conviction in the song. What gives our why conviction? What gives our why a fire in our belly that compels us to do what is not natural to us? I believe that the first two chapters were doctrinal. And now chapter 3 moves into the practical. Verse chapters 1 and 2 were doctrinal. They spoke about truth. And it peaks in this one particular truth that we are made alive with Christ. In chapter 2, verse 13, having had all of our transgressions forgiven. And now he says, live in that new life. In other words, be what you are. Alive in Christ, raised up in him. Verses 1 through 4, since you were raised up with Christ, keep sinking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. When you are driving, it is dangerous to be looking down. Some of us know that by experience. It is dangerous to be fiddling with the knobs or playing with your phone or whatever the case may be. It is dangerous to be looking down because you're not looking where you're going and you end up in places that you shouldn't be, in places that are even dangerous, could possibly even take your life. But when you are looking up, you know where you're going, and knowing where you're going keeps you safe. When you're looking up and your eyes are on Jesus, matter of fact, Hebrews uh, 12, verses 3 and 4 are a great, great, great verse about that. Hebrews 12, and through 12 verses 2, says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking up to him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who has endured such hostility for sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him, our why. Our why is Jesus. Consider him who suffered hostility for you and I. And do not grow weary. Our why is Jesus. The reason why you go to people and say, I'm sorry we're in disagreement, can we, can we be right? Is not because you were right and they were wrong. It's because of Jesus. The reason that you gutted out with adult children or any child who's just rebellious and off the rails is, is Jesus. The reason why we work with parents who are unreasonable is, is, is not because it's the, they're right. It's because of Jesus. The reason that we work out our marriages is Jesus because of him, because he's worthy of it, because he, he bled and died on our behalf, because he raised us up from who we were to what we are, because in him we are complete. In him, I have sanctification and salvation that I didn't ever have before, that I would never have apart from him. It's because of him that I have anything at all. And when I've forgotten about that, when I'm no longer thankful for that, I begin to hold grudges. I begin to hold wrongs. I begin to 
part ways with people. I began to suffer and embrace anger because I've locked, I've forgotten to be thankful for everything I have in him. Our wise Jesus. This morning, if you're here and you're in conflict with someone, if you're here and you need to talk to someone about anything that is standing in the way of your relationship with them, and quite honestly, it's standing in the way of your relationship with Jesus, fix it. Go to them. Don't leave this room without having at least admitted that you have a problem and you need to address it. Go to the Lord and, and repent. Go to the Lord and confess it and ask him to help you fix that conflict. Because if you don't, because if you can't, because if you won't, it is in the way of living out your what. And because not only this, but you do a discredit to the name of Christ by living that way. Let's pray.